Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, please. The last verses of this chapter, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. I'm going to read these from, I'm going to read from the Sermon on the Mount for the last time for a while. Nine months we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and it has been just an absolute pleasure for me and for Mark and for Kevin to be preaching on this and studying this, and we've received a lot, of, uh, a lot of feedback from many of you about how much you've enjoyed this as well. Hard to go wrong uh, studying the, the greatest sermon ever <laughs> preached, right? Um, but I'm kind of sad that it's over. Uh, it's been challenging. It's been powerful. Um, and I hope and pray that it's been encouraging for you as much as it has been for me. Let's read verses 24 through 29 of Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. So as we've seen, uh, oh, I hope we've seen over these last months together is uh, that Jesus um, is not exactly the Jesus meek and mild, the gentle Jesus who uh, is just warm and fuzzy, that, that kind of picture people have of Jesus as being this kind of sappy character not a lot of backbone, always, always being kind and sweet and gentle in all situations. We've seen that Jesus sometimes can be uh, downright acerbic with his words. He can be harsh. He can be demanding. He can be direct. He can be, he can be very, very pointed. And he's done that throughout this sermon. He doesn't pull any punches. He says, look, there's, there's two ways to live. You need to understand that there are two paths you can go down. There are, are two uh, ways that you can, can live. There is no third way. It's either you're with me or you're against me. And you're sort of stuck with Jesus saying, look, if you say to me, uh, you, you, you like me, you, you uh, appreciate my teaching, you think I have a lot of interesting things to say, but, you know, Jesus, all this Lord stuff, all this uh, Son of God stuff, all this, you've got to give up your life and, and give, give me uh, uh, control of uh, your life stuff, all that stuff, I'm, I'm not interested in that. Jesus is saying, you're actually not interested in me. You can only have me one way. This is what Jesus was getting at last week when you uh, studied with Mark, probably the scariest passage in the entire New Testament. That's, that's why I gave it to Mark <laughs> rather than have to preach that one myself. But, but listen to what it says. 
Just be reminded by this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Man, this passage is all about being deceived, about how we can be self-deceptive, in fact. This, this construction, Lord, Lord, it's, it's a unique construction. It's meant to, to uh, communicate intimacy. It's meant to describe a, a personal relationship. This, uh, these are people who are coming to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, you know, I, I know you very well. I love you very much. I, I trust you. I, I've put my faith in you. And Jesus says to them, excuse me? I don't believe I know you. And, and they respond by saying, whoa, whoa, Jesus, no, you got to know me. I did a whole bunch of amazing things for you in your name. Look, friends, you can say that you love Jesus. You can even do lots of things for Jesus. But Jesus tells us, he says, look, what I want from you actually is obedience. Whether you're in the church or out of the church, whether you're, you're what you would call kind of a, a secular person with some interest in religious things or you're a downright dyed-in-the-wool church-going guy or gal who sits in the pew and stands up and sings and uh, folds their hands in prayer, if you walk out of this place or you walk out of your front door every day and, and you don't live an obedient life or at least seek to find out what God's will is, how he wants you to live and try to, to pursue that way of living, Jesus says to us, listen I don't know you please leave that is scary stuff again that's why Mark preached it I get to preach on Jesus driving this home the seriousness of this with this final uh, image this final contrast Jesus makes between these two houses And I'm just going to make a few observations and a few applications and trust that God actually will use his word the way he promises to as a double-edged sword that will cut where it needs to cut. It will trim where it needs to trim, but also where it will encourage, where it needs to encourage. What do we learn from this contrast between these two houses that Jesus describes the first very simple thing is simply this everyone is building their life on something see Jesus uses this metaphor of houses because back then the house literally was the center of your life you worked out of your house your obviously your family life was out of your house your social life was out of your house everything was done uh, everything everything centered on the 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 home and so this metaphor is, is meant to, to describe to us that every single one of us is building our lives on something. And it's helpful to remember as well that, that everybody back then built their own houses. They didn't have contractors like we have today. You just figured out how to build your house and you probably looked at your neighbor and you saw how, what their house looked, at, looked like and you said, okay, I guess I'm going to build the same kind of thing, a, essentially a one big room with a, a roof on it. And you had to figure out how to do that, making decisions yourself. 
making choices yourself. You didn't have a building inspector who came and said, oh, sorry, you know, that wiring's wrong. You're supposed to do it this way. And then you go, okay, now I know. You just did it all yourself. You made the choices. You made the decisions all on your own. And Jesus is pushing his listeners and he's pushing us today, his listeners, to, to consider what is the bottom line in your life? What is the purpose of your existence? What is, what is the big idea? What is the, the core commitment or core desires that, that drive your existence? What are you doing here? And why? That's what he's pushing us to wrestle with. And he's saying the decisions you make, in other words, the, the, the decisions you make that direct your life, the things that you choose, they speak to your answer to these questions. What's my purpose? What's my big idea? What am I living for? The, the, the decisions of your life point to that. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you, what are you building your life on? You have two choices. You can build, he says, on rock or you can build on sand. And it's very helpful to understand the, the geography uh, of Palestine because it, it really helps us real understand why Jesus would choose this metaphor. So Palestine is mostly desert, okay? And it essentially has two seasons. It has a dry season, it has a wet season. And, and it's, because it's desert, it has a, a, a very shallow bedrock, or it has a bedrock that is, that is underneath kind of a shallow layer of, of clay. And during the dry season, the clay becomes very, very, very hard so that it's almost as hard as rock. It's not, and it can look as hard as rock, but it's not. And that stuff gets soft and mushy during the rainy season, okay? And, and what people would do is, is they would build their houses during the dry season in hopes of having them ready for the rainy season. But here's the thing. The clay is really, really hard, and it looks like the rock that is actually existing underneath it. And so occasionally, people would go, well, you know, this is good enough. It's hard here. It's strong here. And they would build their house on this sand. And it was less work than trying to dig up all that clay and put your foundation right on the, the bedrock layer, the, the layer of rock underneath. And you could be done by the rainy season, you see. And Jesus is showing us two houses here that look the same on the surface, but they actually have very, very different foundations. And you got to understand, Jesus is not talking about people who are smart and people who are not smart. This isn't about intellectual differences. A fool is not a dummy in the Bible. As we're going to see, the word here is actually the word from which we get our word moron, but... <laughs> The point is not that there's an intellectual difference here between the fool and the wise person. The, the foolish person is not dumb. The foolish person lacks spiritual concern. That's the problem with the, the foolish person. The foolish person cares about the present. The foolish person cares about the here and now. The wise person, you see, is, is concerned about real stability that's going to last into the future, that may even last beyond their own earthly life so that that house will stand for generations, not just for themselves, that they will have a legacy to give on to generations to come. That's the wise person. Now, they're searching for real stability. Now, why, why, 
why do we need to know the geography? Because here's, here's another really interesting thing. Do you know, I don't know how many of you know what a wadi is. I didn't <laughs> until I, uh, I had to study this passage. Wadis are basically creek beds that are dry for most of the year. Uh, except during the rainy season. Because when the rains come every year, they gather into these wadis and these wadis just become torrential rivers. Okay? It's not uncommon. It's pretty regular. Now the fool behaves as though the day of the, the rains coming and the torrent uh, coming are, are, are kind of unlikely. Despite the stats, they're kind of like people who continue to build their houses in L.A., right? L.A., everybody says the big one's coming and it's going to be an earthquake like you never saw before and all these houses are going to go down, but people are still building in L.A. Or, or I don't know, like young people when they first start driving, right? They drive like maniacs because they think they're indestructible. The stats say if you drive 140, you're much, much higher uh, uh, likelihood of dying in an accident, but you do it anyway because you're like, yes, this can happen, but it probably won't happen to me. So they build their house on the sand. And, and you know, you can just picture a regular Canadian person. They're enjoying their new house. It's been built on the sand. Looks good. It's got a nice roof on it. Looks pretty solid. And maybe they are going out for a walk and walking their dog. And at the other end of the street, they, say that, they see that guy, you know, he's sitting there pounding on this clay and pulling it up and he's, he's sweating and he's, he's huffing and puffing and he's digging down. He's, got, he's barely got this foundation started at all. Meanwhile, you've got your house totally built and you're going to be polite, of course. You're going to say, hey, you know, how's it going? Good to see you, Bob. But inside, you're walking away and you're going, what a moron. What a total waste of time. This guy's slaving away pounding away on this foundation. For what? For nothing. And, and you know, if the gospel is not true, he's right. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, the weather's not great, so you probably wouldn't be hiking otherwise. There's a really, really important Premier League Soccer game happening this morning. You could be watching that. But you're here. Like, why? I'm, I'm guessing that at least for, for many of you, it's because you think you need to build your life on a solid foundation. You know that God loves it when his people gather together to hear him preach to them, speak his word to them, to pour out their hearts to him in prayer, to honor him in, in song. But there are people walking by, maybe not today because of the weather, but on many a Sunday, there are people walking by. And they're thinking, what a waste of time. Like, what are they doing in there? They blow an hour and a half or more. It's Grace Valley, so the services are always crazy long. Maybe some of you sitting here think, really, behind it all, you wouldn't say it, but you kind of think it's a waste of time, too. And think of the money. Think of the money. If you're, if you're a Christian who really takes Christ seriously when it comes to like how I'm supposed to be generous and give money away, you, you look back over your life and you're like hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
Hundreds of thousands. Some, some of you will have given away more than a million dollars over the course of your lifetime because you love Jesus. And, and if you're a regular secular person, you go like, that's just nuts. You're a moron. You'd be better off throwing some of that into the, into the, 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 the market. Well, maybe not right now, but eventually into the market or, or into real estate or, at, or the lottery. That's how... A lot of secular people look at the church, and they have every right to look at the church if that way, if Jesus is wrong. They say, they're, they're going to be polite. They're going to say, hey, you found your thing. It's okay for you. Awesome. Everybody's got to have their thing. You've got yours. But I certainly don't need it. And, and even worse, sometimes in the church... You have people who come week after week after week after week and they hear sermons and they sing songs and they close their eyes for prayer and they get very good solid teaching. But then they go home and there is no transformation, no change in the way they live at all. It just goes in one ear and out the other. It just goes over their heads. And they can for years can sit in a pew and listen to gospel preaching and go home every day and it has no effect. And Jesus is saying, now that is a waste of time. That's truly moronic. See, the word here for fool and foolish is the word, the Greek word that we get from, we get the word moron from. The wise person in this story knows that the foundation is crucial and so they dig deep. It's not exciting, it's not fun. Digging foundations doesn't always turn your crank. I didn't want, when we were renovating our house for a short period of time, I watched those, those reno shows. Everybody does it when they're renovating a house. It's the biggest mistake you could make. But I did it just like everybody else, you know, love it and list it or whatever they're called, flip flat, flip that thing, flop that thing. Anyhow, you watch these shows and you see the people going into the house and they're like, oh, I love that kitchen. Oh, we could blow out that wall and we could make a big living area and all oh, that deck is to die for. Oh, those colors are terrible. We're going to change that. I have never seen them spend hardly any time in the basement walking around the outside looking for cracks in the foundation and that kind of stuff because that's not glamorous. That's not exciting. The foundation is the part that you don't ever see. We like to look at the nice deck, not the concrete work down below. Now, what is this foundation that Jesus is talking about? Building this foundation on the rock. Well, oftentimes we think Jesus Christ is the foundation. You know, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, kind of. That's not exactly how the Bible talks about it. Jesus is the rock on which the foundation is built in the Bible. The foundation is a little bit different. In fact, the foundation is actually the prophets and the apostles. So for example, I'll just give you a few. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 says this. I have to back up to read because I forgot my glasses. Consequently, you are no longer a foreigner and stranger, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, listen, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
So the apostles and prophets are the foundation. Jesus is the rock, the cornerstone on which the foundation is built. Okay, well, what what does that mean? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read this. This is the early church. It's just started. It's brand spanking new. But this is what it says in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the teaching of the apostles is the foundation on which Jesus is telling us to build our lives. The early church met frequently. Why? To hear the, founda- to hear the apostles' teaching. That's the foundation of their faith. That's the foundation of their life. And the church has always believed that. Because the church knows that the the world, the flesh and the devil, these are the three things the Bible describes as those areas of life that are going to, or of the world that are going to try to derail or break up your faith. So we're talking the world, meaning the influence of the culture around us that thinks that we're crazy to be here on a Sunday morning when we could be watching Premier League or we could be out for breakfast or we could be having a hike because it doesn't believe the things that we believe in this word. The flesh, meaning your own sinful nature that kind of wishes it was home watching Premier League or kind of wishes it was out having a nice breakfast with friends and, and desires the things that are not of God. And then, of course, there's the devil. There is a supernatural realm. You think evil is just rooted in humanity? No. If evil was just too rooted in humanity, wouldn't we be way less evil now than we were 5,000 years ago? And you'd say, well, aren't we? I don't know. We've just gotten better at killing each other, it seems. So listen. Having a, being a wise man, building your foundation on the rock means you take the word of God seriously. You study it. You want to know it. You want to live it. You want to practice it. I'm going to say something here. <sighs> okay, for all you parents, I don't like to guilt people. I don't like to scare people and guilt people with the gospel, with the Bible. But sometimes Jesus scares people. And so I'm only doing my duty if I scare you when he scares you. You people with young kids, the stats basically say that in all likelihood, less than half of your grandchildren will be believers. That's how it's going in our culture right now. That's how it's going in the church right now. So you're 30, you got two little ones, or you're 40, you got two, you know, less little ones. And maybe each of them are going to have two. So think, four grandkids, 25, 30 years from now, you're sitting around the table and you say, let's pray. And half of your grandkids go, what a waste of time. And right now, you're saying to yourself, you know, getting them up and getting them to church. Getting them up so that they're in church and they can go to Grace Kids. Or getting them up for 9 o'clock to sit in a catechism class. Or getting them to Boys and Girls Club. But especially getting them up on Sunday after Saturday was such a busy day. After we had such a a, a busy day with sports or with family or with going out. And someone's got a sniffle and Sunday morning rolls around. And we now have these things called live streams. You think to yourself, ah, is it such a big deal if we miss once in a while? We're there once a month, twice a month. And you're thinking to me, why are you talking about church attendance, Van and Brink? I'll tell you why. Because the number one factor... Bar none, 
the number one factor in seeing the Christian faith relayed from generation to generation is regular church attendance. I know, I couldn't believe it when I discovered that myself. I was like, come on, isn't it like family devotions or something like that? It's regular, committed church attendance. How boring. But that's foundation. And and I'm just pleading with you, younger people, married or not, kids or not, in a culture that has so many opportunities for you to do stuff and be places on Sunday. I'm just pleading with you, think about the long term. Think about 50 years from now when it's Thanksgiving weekend and you've got all your, you've got your whole mitt full of kids around the table with their mittfuls of kids and you're saying, okay, let's pray. And you see your grandkids hold hands with one another and bow their heads and pray to the Lord. Don't you want that 50 years from now? Then build today on the foundation. That's, that's, that's all I'm saying. Because you see, Jesus says, listen, he says storms are going to come. They are inevitable. They're going to come. The fool is surprised by the storm. Our culture is surprised by suffering. You know that? We're surprised by it. We don't, we're the first culture in history that does not prepare our people and our children to suffer well. We see suffering as an avoidable intrusion. That's why we always want to sue. Because this, this isn't what I signed up for. And yet, the fact is we all face it. Some of us face it a lot, more, a lot quicker than others. Some of you have had tragedies when you were very young. Some, some of you have lost parents when you were kids or, or had a family relationship break apart. Or you go to school and somebody doesn't like you and the next thing you know, you're the subject of bullying and the texts are screaming around about you behind your back and all the kids are, are making rumors and stuff like that. So you're at the point where you don't even want to get up and go to school anymore. You will one day be betrayed by a friend or one of your children will die or you will get that diagnosis about a mental medical condition or a physical medical condition and you'll feel like your life is over. Will your foundation hold out? See, you can't know until it's tested. These two houses, they look exactly the same. Jim's walking in and out of his house. Bob's walking in and out of his house. But it's not until the storm comes that you discover, is the foundation any good here? Because you see, if it's not, it gets, you get swept away. And so the only way you can know if your foundation is good is the source. Who told you to build that way? Who gave you that blueprint for your foundation. you got to trust the source. I mean, you're going to do all this work. You're going to dig up the clay. You're going to put in this foundation, the sweat of your brow, boring stuff, doing it. you got to wonder, you know, is there purpose behind it all? Is there, how do I know going to church is good? How do I know studying the Bible is good? How do I know praying every day with and for my children is good? How do I know? How do I know? How do I know? How do I know putting Jesus' teaching into practice is worth the time? And it's not a waste of time. It's the last verses. 
They're remarkable verses, you know. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In the Bible, in the Bible, the the teachers of the law, they would always cite an authority when they were making an argument. It's kind of like when you go to university or college or even in high school, right? When you have a a paper and you're trying to make an argument, you have to cite your source, right? Where are you getting that from? And And what it does is, is it gives you authority. It gives the reader, the listener, the cue to know that you know what you're talking about. But what's unique about Jesus is, is Jesus never does that. He says things like, you have heard it said, but I say this. Amen, amen, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you. That's him saying that he is his own authority. Even the Old Testament prophets, they always said, thus says the Lord. But Jesus would say, I tell you. He doesn't cite. Because Jesus is saying, I'm my own authority. I'm God, you see. I am God in the flesh. Jesus is saying, I'm, that's why you can't just say, Jesus, I like the stuff you say, but I'm not going to give my life to you. Because you see, if Jesus was a crazy man who thought he was God, how can you be sure that the stuff he's saying should be listened to? If I came over to your house and said, I'm happy to babysit your kids, and you said, oh, I look like a nice guy, sure, you can babysit my kids. And I said, by the way, I am the reincarnation of Napoleon. You'd say, oh, he seems like a nice guy, but I don't think I'm leaving him with my kids. Jesus says, I'm God in the flesh. The reality that you're wondering about, I created it. So I know what I'm talking about. Because I am the author of creation. The physical laws and the spiritual laws that this universe run by, I'm the one who made them. And he... You know, he proved it over the course of his life. You know, he, he, he did miracles. The demons knew who he was and believed it. His quality of life. Many people, Mahatma Gandhi said that Jesus' quality of life is inexplicable. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but he did say his quality of life was inexplicable. Jesus claimed to forgive people's sins. The father apparently affirmed him at his baptism. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And he taught with power and authority. See, they all point to his claim. But here's the thing. The proof was in the pudding because Jesus died and then he rose. When we could care less about him, when we thought he was a waste of time, he climbed into this world, showed us his love, and died for our sin. And three days later, rose from the dead. The rock died and was reborn. And so if that is true, if the resurrection is true, that means that he can fulfill everything he offers us. He can forgive sins, he can grant us eternal life, and he can say with authority, Build on me and you can withstand anything. How do you know you're building on the rock or building on the foundation? Well, it's pretty easy actually. Ask yourself this question. I like thought experiments. Here's a thought experiment for you. 
If I found out Christianity was not true, somehow I, they found the body, and I discovered it was a complete hoax, in what meaningful ways would your life change? And I don't mean, well, I, you know, I, just, I just scored a, two hours of my Sunday morning back. Or, sweet, now I can go on more Caribbean vacations because I'm not tithing. I'm talking about your day-to-day living. Would it change? If not, you're not practicing, putting into practice these things that Jesus has taught us. You're, you're, you're a hypothetical Christian. Jesus how do I end this? Jesus calls us. I'm not going to use the words of invite. Sometimes you hear the words of invite. Jesus invites us into this. God invites us into that. Jesus is not in the Sermon on the Mount inviting you to anything. He's telling you. He's calling you. He's saying, I am who I am. I've proven it by dying for you. You know anybody else who died for you? And I rose for you. And I'm calling you, give yourself to me, and you will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, teach us to give ourselves to our Savior Jesus. We will not be disappointed. Teach us to build a foundation, to study your word, to come to worship, to do the things. I know these things... We're not saved by doing these things. We know that, Father. We know that. We are saved entirely by grace, but we also know that you're calling us to build our lives on something. And you're saying, build on my word. You will not go wrong. Put my word into action. Teach us to do that, Father. Teach us to love to do that, Father. For this generation and for the generations to come until the return of our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.